electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people, my friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Stop giving up on companies you believe in. You'll be wrong more often than you're right, and you'll end up kicking yourself on days like today, where the Dow surged 614 points, S&P shot up 2.47%, NASDAQ skyrocketed 3.06%. This morning, Jeff Marks, my partner in the CBC Investing Club, and I were puzzled. Puzzled over about how some of, the, some of our stocks in the trust were performing so poorly. It was crushing us. And then I was reminded of one I worked with Karen Kramer at my old hedge fund. I'd see one of our stocks down big, and I'd say, I, I simply can't believe it. The stock's getting crushed. And, and she would ask me, did you do your homework? And I would say, yes. She said, do you have conviction? I said, absolutely. She'd then pick up the phone, get a look at the stock, meaning how much was offered, and buy, sometimes buy, a ton of it right then and there. She did it because she said that the sellers weren't as smart as we were which meant that we're doing something uh, stupid if we decide not to buy the stock. Too often, stocks go down because people who haven't done the homework are knocking them down for reasons that make no sense. Just because a stock is down, that doesn't mean the decline is justified. Markets are constantly making mistakes. That's the whole reason why it's possible to make good money in this business. One common mistake, people don't realize there are some big time execs that you cannot afford to bet against. Case in point, Alphabet. Yeah, the old Google. The CEO, CEO, Sundar Pinchai. Very good, very good. But the CFO, Ruth Porat, who runs the conference call, extraordinary. The other night, Alphabet reported and the headline writers put out some stupid drivel about how the company had an astounding shortfall. The stock dropped 200 points at one point. I, I, I was blown away. I said, come on, man. It's Alphabet. 
it. Oh, no. Can't touch half of it. And then you listen to Ruth Porat in the call. And what does she say? What does this brilliant CFO say? She told you it was a great quarter for search and for cloud and for YouTube, except in Eastern Europe because of the war. While the headline numbers fell short of expectations, the underlying trends were all amazing. I was watching the stock come down while I was filming the show. So I desperately wanted to listen to the conference call in case Ruth actually said maybe something horrifying. Maybe something's gotten worse. Maybe there's something bad. But when I read the transcript when I got home, I was furious. This was Ruth Porat saying things were good, not some glad-handing jamoke. Ruth darn Porat, one of the smartest people I have ever met, a renowned investment banker, former CFO of Morgan Stanley, and a person's got horse sense. When you go up against Ruth Porat, you're bringing a penknife to a javelin missile. One time she and her fabulous husband, Anthony, showed up at Bar San Miguel. I had breezed in to grab a quick mezcal, say hi to the gang. Then I saw them, and I was shaking. What, what were they doing here? What was I going to say, what was I going to, say to Ruth Porat? I mean, should I just leave? Maybe she didn't see me. Maybe I can just go. I mean, she's in my place. I mean, this is like in my brain. This is what I was thinking. Why? Because I wasn't prepped to see Ruth at my bar. I'm not that rigorous. To this day, I'm upset that I didn't bring my A-game to speak to her. When I got home that night and talked to my wife, Lisa, I obsessed about how Ruth must think I'm a joker, an idiot, a fool. That's Ruth Porat, Titan. If she says the quarter's great and she explains it, you don't just dismiss it. You, the stock's wrong, not her. You dismiss the clown selling the stock. They're wrong, not you. And certainly not Ruth Porat. Sure enough, Alphabet's now within three bucks of where it was trading before it reported that so-called horrendous quarter where you had to sell because it was miserable and the world was coming to an end. The idiots who sold it, especially the ones who sold it down 200, they wouldn't know Ruth Porat from a hole in the wall. Me, I admit to still being intimidated by her. But that doesn't mean I can't make money listening to her. Then there's this guy, Mark Zuckerberg. All right. Now, here's a guy who invented Facebook for the desktop and then everything moved to mobile. He said he'd make the move to mobile. Lots of people didn't believe him, sold the stock down to 18. Uh, we did believe him, though, and we bought the stock for the charitable trust, one of the greatest buys they've ever made. Sure enough, Zuckerberg figured it out. Then Facebook started losing a snap or something we didn't even remember. Next thing you know, he comes up with stories and crushes the competition. Uh, so this time he's supposed to be beaten by the geniuses at TikTok, right? Wow, are they smart. He's a dope, right? Well, that's a total insult to Zuckerberg and company. He's, he, 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 he's created this whole area. He was supposed to be beaten by Apple's new privacy rules that make it harder to be targeted, give targeted advertising. Everybody was counting him out again, like he'd never done anything right. Do, you, do people think he's lost his acumen? Do they think he had a brain transplant with Navin Johnson, one of Steve Martin's all-time greatest roles, so they simply couldn't make that movie now? The cans! He shouldn't have cared! What's Zuckerberg done? He's gotten around the Apple privacy issue by embracing artificial intelligence in the absence of third-party data. They're using computers to model your behavior, figure out what will work. I like that. As for TikTok, I've been saying Facebook's reels would offer a better deal for small, medium-sized businesses, but not till the end of the year. Turns out I was way too pessimistic. It's now. Reels is already there. As a small business person, I can tell you I like it much more already, and I would not have said that six months ago. Facebook put aside billions to defeat TikTok. Zuckerberg only spent a fraction of that, and he's already created something better. Way to get to the end of the year. It's going to be like TikTok. Like, what was that? What was the TikTok? I don't remember. 
This is the guy the Bears want to bet against? You can't be serious. How Tim Farley, CEO of Ford. Last year, he told us that he was done losing money in South Africa and Europe. I laughed. That's what Ford does, lose money. No, he, he, they didn't. He got rid of the losses in Europe and South America. This is the year he said he'd take on Elon Musk and beat him when it comes to electric pickup trucks. In fact, he promised a huge electrified lineup, including hundreds of thousands of electric F-150s. I had the privilege of sitting in the front of one today, and all I can say is that Ford is now one of the that the Ford stock is one of the cheapest in the SP 500. I'd be a buyer. And if you're a seller, well, stupid is a stupid does. Hey, did Saudi Nadella miss when Microsoft reported two days ago? Well, the headline said he did. Did you see that? Did you see the headline said this was a miss? I know I always say wait and listen to what the company has to say on the conference call before you pull the trigger. Unless, of course, it's someone as great as Sadia who knows how to run an enterprise with the right products and still execution. Buying Microsoft into that foolish dip that was based on a moronic headline by someone who's probably machine so can't even be fired was like stealing candy from him. Well, I don't know. Uh, an adult. Anyway, finally, a lot of people traded around the stock of Apple, as usual, because we heard bad things about supply problems in China and drab phones and slow services. That's people betting against Tim Cook. You know, Tim Cook, you know what they're doing right now? They're betting right now. As I stand here, as I stand here and talk, they're betting against Tim Cook. They're selling it down. They think they're so smart. They're like, oh, I'm so smart. Buyers are so dumb. I'm so smart. Tim Cook, what does he know? I mean, where's he from? He just fell off a turnip truck. Good, good, fine. Do it. I'm asterisking the worry about the Chinese lockdowns. I know they weren't in this quarter. I know they'll be next quarter. But you know what? It's Tim Cook, for heaven's sake. All right, maybe you get a better chance to buy because the moron chowderhead Mount Bank knaves are dumping it furiously and thinking they're real smart because they sold it at 160 and now it's at 157. Genius! Well, I'll tell you. You follow the CBC Investment Club tomorrow. You might find that we found out, we found that Tim Cook that he was still as smart as he was like 48 hours ago or even 37 hours. Now, I'm not advocating the great many man theory, okay, of business history. The world's complicated. People are fallible. Uh, no executives deserve your blind faith. But just like in the NBA, NFL, you know, there are superstars, right? I mean, there's people who do unworldly things. They're unreal. They do these crazy things. They're, uh, they're just better. Now, we don't have highlight reels of the work of Tim Cook or Nadella. We can't find ESPN doing these incredible stories about Farley. And you're not never going to see Ruth Poor out in the WNBA. She's not there. If we did, though, you'd understand that you bet against these superstar CEOs and CFOs at your own pearl. The bottom line, superstars don't win every game. But over the long haul, they win a lot more often than they lose. And counting them out. Rarely a smart decision. Hey, how about we go to Paul in the show me state of Missouri? Paul! What is happening, Jimmy Chill? I don't know. I had a couple of those energy drinks today. I don't think they're good for you. I, <laughs> no more you know, Jimmy Chill today. Yeah. What's uh, going on? Calling about, yeah, calling about the Avis Budget Group. See what you think. I've held it since March of 2020. And have a pretty well, you know what you're going to do tomorrow? To you're going to sell, sell it, sell, sell. and you're going to buy the stock of Hertz. Why? Because that buy, buy, the guy buy. who runs Hertz is smart, and he's a moneymaker. He was the CFO of Goldman Sachs. See you sure. Hey, oh, he's another guy that, like, when he calls it, it says, you know, Steve, it's like, mm-hmm, but I'll take it. All right, stop giving up on companies you believe in. Superstars don't win every game. But over the long haul, I would rather put them in my lineup then trade the, trade down and hope for some sort of player that may pay off from Ohio State tonight. Oh, man, my name. is your portfolio hurting with hurts? <laughs> 
The company posted an, that, no, not the quarterback of the Eagles. Stop it. Uh, he's posted an earnings beat, but the stock is still declining. I'll find out if it's worth pick, uh, parking your portfolio and shares with the company when I sit down with the CEO. Then I'm getting meta with meta and telling you if today's rally could be a sign of things to come. And thinking of setting sail with Brunswick as we head in the summer months? The stockholders setting sail away from it. Let's find out what's going on. Don't we have an exclusive with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. All right, what the heck just happened to the stock of Hertz Global? It's a leading rental car company that came out of COVID-induced bankruptcy last summer. Last night, Hertz reported an excellent quarter, yet its stock plunged nearly 7% today. Otherwise, kind of terrific tape. This one's a tough nut to crack. While the stock's incredibly cheap on an earnings basis, that's because the, the analysts expect substantial earnings shrinkage in 2023 and 2024. Hey, we got a travel boom right now, but maybe it can't last? Here's what we know for sure. Hertz now is a strong leader to help navigate them where Ever, whatever challenges they may face. In February, we learned that they were bringing in Steve Schur. He is the former CFO of Goldman Sachs as their new CEO, as he took over just two months ago. So uh, what's his plan? Let's go directly to the source. Let's find out what Steve Schur's thinking, because he is the new CEO of Hertz Global. And this is a company I think is very attractive. Why? Because this man is running it. Steve, welcome to Mad Money. 
Jim, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. So the first question I have to ask, having been alumnus of Goldman, is, okay, CFO of Goldman's pretty fantastic job. Why take on an outfit that almost went, well, went bankrupt, basically, and had to do a recapitalization? Why, what attraction to that? Well, what really attracted me, Jim, is this is an iconic brand. It's been around for 103 years, and notwithstanding all sorts of efforts to do damage to it, the brand is extraordinary. And on the back of that, and coming out of reorganization with a really clean balance sheet, I think there's enormous opportunity to really remake this company. Uh, You know what we did on the consumer side when I was at Goldman, and I think we can remake the customer journey here at Hertz. I also think that this is a moment uh, where mobility is really changing and Hertz can be at the center of it. And I think it can keep some great company in terms of other companies that are getting engaged and involved, whether that's Uber or Tesla or Lyft or Apple or Google. All of them are getting involved in the mobility space. And I think Hertz can keep real company there. So combine taking your business, your core business back to where it ought to be with the consumer and then taking advantage of opportunities in and around mobility, including in the electric vehicle space. This is a really exciting opportunity and one that that attracted me. Yeah, I've always thought of Hertz as being, look, we're better than everybody else. We're not going to deal with anybody else. We don't have to deal with anybody else. You sound like you're a person who recognizes if Hertz is going to get to the next level, they got to be willing to partner with anybody. Well, I also think, you know, the customer needs to be front and center. We, We cannot take the customer for granted. We need to earn their business. And we're doing that. We're coming forward with a diversified fleet of cars, both conventional combustion engine and electric vehicle. But more importantly, we're diversifying the customers that we approach. It's not just the individual at the airport. It's also corporate customers. By the way, corporate customers want to put their, their, uh, their employees in electric vehicles to satisfy their own ESG and carbon footprint objectives. And then we're doing something nobody else is with electric vehicles, which is we are renting them out to ride sharing. Uber drivers are renting Hertz electric vehicles. It makes sense. They're making more money. We're making money. And that diversified customer set is new for Hertz, new in the industry. And I think we can make something real of it. All right. Now, can that possibly offset the fact you mentioned the business travel, but you also had some figures, uh, 63% bad. There's just a huge number of business travelers not coming back. Can this make up for them? Well, I think, you know, I got asked the question on the call, which was, where are you? relative to what you think the normal market looks like. And if you just decompose demand, leisure traveler, 90 some odd percent back relative to 2019. Business or corporate travel, only 63% back. And inbound, meaning uh, non-U.S. travelers, so people coming from Europe or Asia into the United States, only 35% back. Now, corporate business is trending upwards. Make no mistake about it. I'm confident that starts to come back. And I think the inbound visitor from outside the U.S. will start to come back when full relaxation of some of the COVID limitations are, in fact, in place. And when that happens, I think there's more demand here uh, than what we're experiencing right now. And right now, this is a demand uh, supply you know, issue, which is demand is outstripping the amount of fleet that the industry, no less Hertz, has. Now, you have uh, made a, uh, an alliance with Carvana. Uh, they did a, a, a bond offering with J.P. Morgan, poorly perceived. Uh, and I wonder right. whether uh, can you diversify away from Carvana if things go wrong? There? Well, I think the diversification story on the sale of cars is beyond Carvana, meaning for a long time, there was just a wholesale market. You would take an aggregate number of older cars you wanted out of your fleet. You sold them in the wholesale market. 
Hertz has a retail channel, a proprietary used car retail channel. That's one of the leading used car sales uh, points in the country. Carvana was another addition to that. In the case of Carvana and in the case of our own retail uh, network, we're, uh, we're, we are realizing prices on used cars well in excess of what we get in the wholesale market. So I think Carvana has a promising future ahead of it. You know, the bond deal was a challenge. I don't think it, it otherwise undermines the core business proposition. Our partnership with them is a really good one. They're a very viable channel for us. And, you know, Jim, I view this business, and I said it on the call yesterday, to borrow a page from my old job, this is an asset management business. We need to be mindful of where we buy assets, which happen to be cars. We need to be mindful of where we sell them. And obviously, the game is in the middle. And how we're selling them is now across a diversified number of channels, which I think is serving us really well. No one's ever thought of it like that. I was going to ask you, uh, you have fresh eyes to an industry. That's never how the auto or the the auto rental business has ever been thought about. No, but 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 that's how it is, right? Which is, you know, I want to buy low and sell high right. uh, where I can, and that's no different than what you and I knew to do when we were at Goldman Sachs. And now we're doing it at Hertz, and we're sweating the assets, meaning we need to think a lot about return on assets. What's the return that our asset base can produce? And there's the game. You know, you can't over-index on any one figure. Rate is one component, right. utilization is another, depreciation another. You need to take the whole of that and say, what's the return on the asset? And let that guide you as to whether you're buying cars or not. And by the way, whether you're buying electric cars or not, because I think electric cars are fulfilling the analytics that we put in when we first made the decision to go in, which is they are proving to yield a higher ROA, a higher return. But, but, We're getting higher rate and lower operating expense on them. Well, let me ask one of this question because of semiconductor sure. availability, because of price. It, it, you were talking about buy low, sell high. Uh, is it possible you're just buying high and once they be able to work out all the supply constraints, you're going to be stuck with a fleet that's too expensive? Well, you need to you need to mind your sales, right? Meaning you can't just look at infleeting new cars. You also need to think hard about what is the value, the residual value on a older automobile. Right. How much rental revenue are you going to get and measure that present value against the sale price at the moment. And at the moment and for the foreseeable future, we're seeing very elevated price levels on used cars. But you can't wait that long. You need to be very, very careful and manage your fleet, both intake and outtake, very, very carefully. Well, look, it is great to have someone who is a business person who is totally into this, because that is you, Steve Schur, who is the CEO of Hertz. Thank you so much for coming on the show and best of luck in this new job. Thanks a lot, Jim. Great to be with you. I, I've never heard the business described like this. I mean, it, it, it's being run like a real business. Maybe that's why Hertz got in trouble before and why I can prosper now. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, a major moment for Meta. Earnings are in. Find out what's in store for the tech giant next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If you're looking at today's monster 17.6% run in meta platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook, you probably scratch your head. Uh, believe me, you're not alone. Normally, stocks don't rally like this unless they catch a takeover bid or they report a breathtakingly strong quarter. This company didn't do either. Yes, Facebook hasn't done these things. Last night, the company reported a quarter that, well, when you looked at it in a vacuum, can only be described as mixed, and that's how the market initially received it. But it was clearly good enough to get investors excited about the thing for the first time in ages. Now, I've repeatedly told you that the negativity in Facebook was totally overdone. We've had a small position in this one for the Chapel Trust forever, which you can follow by joining the CNBC Investing Club. We actually added to that position in recent weeks because the stock had gotten too darn cheap. I thought the skeptics were prematurely counting Facebook out, even as the previous quarter was nothing right home about. But even I didn't expect the stock to explode like this. I mean, I figured the turnaround might be a quarter or two away at best and told you that. Still, I, what made last night's number such a pleasant surprise? How the heck was it up nearly 18% in a quarter that no one would describe as a blowout, even if it certainly came in better than feared? Simple. Earning season is all about context. Remember, I had the asterisks and the era, the, uh, the exclamation point, right? You know, I had the question mark. The context for Meta Facebook is that almost no one expected anything good here. Going into the charts, the stock had been more than cut in half. I mean, look at this. This is horrible, right? It, it was a bisection, and it's all from its all-time high in September, the trouble began last summer when we first learned about how Apple's new privacy rules were putting the squeeze on Facebook's targeted advertising business. In fact, worse than any other company. When, when Facebook reported last July, the headline numbers were excellent, but management warned that their growth rate would decelerate significantly in the second half of the year. That's right about the time CEO Mark Zuckerberg started ta- talking in detail about his ambitions for the metaverse. Uh, we just wanted to make it so that Instagram didn't get the get beat up. Remember, back in the go-go days of 2021, Wall Street loved these long-term conceptual stories, right? Even if they don't have or didn't have at least any near-term payoff. So for the next couple of months on this metaverse story, the stock rallied nicely. It was perfect for the moment. When Facebook reported again last October, they had their first revenue miss since 2018, and the stock really got crushed. A few days later, they rebranded as Meta Platforms, which temporarily allowed it to rebound. Or once November came along, the whole tech edifice rolled over as part of the Fed's new hard line. Although initially, Facebook held up well because, well, let's just say it is a real company doing real things with earnings and buying back stock. But then Facebook slammed headfirst into a retaining wall when it reported in early February. This was a sizable earnings miss, coupled with dismal guidance for the next quarter. I mean, to the point where I said, oh, darn, I can't believe I own it for the trust. Just as bad management said their full-year capital expenditures would be much higher than we thought. In response, the stock lost a quarter of its value overnight. Sound familiar about what happened last night on the other way? 
Since then, Facebook's been in the penalty box. You had the Apple privacy changes, so everyone who accesses Facebook or Instagram on an Apple device is much less valuable to a potential advertiser. You had the rise of TikTok, which was taking share and taking names, even as Facebook rolled out their own competitor reels. You had general pressure on the advertising business because all these supply shortages mean consumer-oriented companies don't need to spend as much on all their marketing to move the merchandise because they don't have any merchandise. It didn't help that Facebook's user growth seemed to be evaporating. Put it all together, and you got a situation where the bulls lost all confidence as Facebook went from a bankable company to a show-me story virtually overnight. And as I said at the top, it didn't matter that Mark Zuckerberg was running it anymore. Of course, when everybody else is panicking, I told club members, chill! I am Jimmy Chill. I was adamant that Facebook would be able to beat TikTok by copying them. And I figured the stock was way too cheap, especially because the company would be up against much easier comparisons in the second half of the year. But I also warned you to wait for a better buying opportunity, which turned out to be the right call, as this thing spent the last few months working its way lower. You know, it just has it's been a bad stock. In fact, we did some buy ourselves again for the Travel Trust earlier this month, although we didn't necessarily nail the bottom. Now that we've set the scene, let's talk about the quarter Meta Facebook reported last night. While the revenue came in weaker than expected, only up 7% year over year, we had to put an asterisk on it. They delivered a 16-cent earnings beat off of a 256 basis. Last night, I called this that kind of you know, questionable quarter because much of the revenue shortfall came from Russia, where the whole platform's been blocked. They're no longer taking money from Russian advertisers. Asterisk. More important. The engagement numbers came in much better than expected, with daily average users up 4% year-over-year. Remember, after the previous quarter, everyone was worried about the slight decline in Facebook's daily average users. No growth stock can have a major line that's declining. So these new numbers put those new worries, those worries to rest. Many of these new viewers, by the way, were from underpenetrated areas like India and Indonesia. Hey, a market's a market. These people are, are turned on by Facebook now. More importantly, the conference call gave the bulls everything they could possibly want. Managers said all the right things. They acknowledged the headwinds from Apple. They recognized that it's harder to monetize engagements with Reels, their, their TikTok knockoff. In short, they got it. At the same time, Facebook made it clear that their investment plans, one of the things that freed people out in February, could be more flexible than we thought. While they want to invest in growth areas, they now say they'll, quote, slow the pace some of our investments, end quote. Wow. And that's because, why? They don't have the money? <laughs> Hardly. They bought back billions of dollars of stock. It's because they're having so much success right now in committee with TikTok that they, they expected. Certainly better than they expected three months ago. Perhaps best of all, Zuckerberg said he's confident the social media business, that's Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, a family of apps, can return to better revenue growth rates over time while sustaining higher operating margins. I believe him. If there's one thing Zuckerberg knows better than anyone, it's social media. And, hey, the numbers are already bearing them out here. Well, ad, ad pricing was down 8% year-over-year, not good. Total ad impressions across Facebook's whole family of apps were up 15%. Then there's Reels. Okay, to Sheryl Sandberg, who's been on a bunch of times at COO, they're already seeing great engagement with Reels. Step one in the plan to be TikTok. On top of that, they're bending over backwards to help advertisers come up with better ads for these short-term videos. Sandberg says these advertisers are already seeing really promising leads. I believe them. I've checked it out myself. I see it. I think Meta Facebook still has more work to do, but their turnaround is clearly well ahead of schedule. 
Doesn't hurt that the company's embracing artificial intelligence to improve the quality of the content they show you. Historically, they've focused on showing you content that your friends have posted. Now they use everything they know about you to highlight stuff that their AI thinks you like. Hey, it's a better model. Come on, when you go on Amazon, ooh, sorry, Amazon, and it says you might like this, the odds favor you do. That's artificial intelligence. Now, Facebook is also applying their hyper-targeted advertising platform to Reels for the first time, something that should help really, really help monetization, give it a much better return on investment. They've already got this down to a science with Facebook and Instagram. Last but not least, the company seems to be getting a handle on all these Apple new privacy restrictions well as when I thought they could, developing internal tools to measure the effectiveness of their ads, something I thought they'd do in 2023. While it's too soon to be doing a victory lap here, the stock's still down huge for the year. I feel like Meta Facebook Facebook's turnaround efforts are already paying off. Here's the bottom line. Even after today's jump, the stock sells for a ridiculous 17 times earnings. Now that the biggest fears are off the table, I think Facebook's a good value play, and I think it's going to roll up and roll up and roll up, especially if you can get it off the Amazon bad news tonight. Do some buying. Jesse in California. Jesse. Booyah. Booyah, Jesse. Booyah. Have been watching for years. Really appreciate your sincerity. It's surreal to be talking to you right now. And may the world unite in a revolution of love. Thank you, man. Thank you. Revolution of love. Okay. Uh, There seems to be a lot of confusion around the metaverse. It's essentially spatial computing where instead of staring at a flat screen, someone is immersed in a digital environment. Entering into that environment will become more accessible and the visuals will increase in fidelity and approach photorealism. It seems to be the next frontier in computing and this company may be the purest play in that space. However, it's not only a speculative right. story. They made over a billion dollars in revenue last year. Mobile gaming is a $100 billion market, and 70% of mobile games are created with this company's software. Their engine is also used for console and PC gaming and increasingly for special effects and cinema. The stock was $210 in November, right. 300% higher than today's close. Has Unity Software... But- Gone down but you just said the thing that matters, 200 in November. When the Fed pivoted and got tough, we switched here to going to buying companies that make things and do stuff at a profit, return some of that profit to shareholders and not expensive. These things do not, this company does not do that. It doesn't fit the profile. So therefore, we said you could no longer own it. But I do thank you for the kudos. But I got to call it as it is. I mean, people want me to say buy this and buy that. And I can't. I just can't. Look, I think Meta Platforms is a very good, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, value play. And I be a buyer right here until people realize it's a growth stock. Much more mid money at this market's up and down action may have you feeling seasick. But I'll tell you if an investment in Brunswick, yes, the boat company, could steady your portfolio sales. Then, we're playing the inflation bling game. I'll tell you why pal may not be the problem. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. What's it going to take for Brunswick Corporation to catch a break? The maker of boats and engines, most notably Boston Whalers, put up a series of just excellent results, yet the stock has plunged from 117 last May to the mid-70s today. I've been recommending Brunswick since the early days of the pandemic because there's a huge structural imbalance between supply and demand in the boat industry. It never seems to matter. 
This morning, Brunswick turned in yet another excellent set of numbers, a 20-cent earnings beat of $2.32 basis, higher than expected sales. Management gave strong guidance for the current quarter, even raised the full-year forecast. But the stock only rattled a little more than 2% on a very up day. It's still down, get this, huge from its highs. And it's only sells for 7.6 times earnings, as if the earnings estimates are going to fall apart. I think it makes a lot of sense to buy it, but it hasn't worked. So let's take a closer look with David Folks. He's the CEO of Brunswick Corporation to learn more about the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Folks, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me, Jim. All right. So once again, David, the demand is strong. Uh, supply somewhat constrained this time by, obviously, the supply chain things that we talk about. Uh, broader mm-hmm. breadth of product, freedom just doing so well. So what do we do? Just keep buying back shares like you have been if the market doesn't like as much as it should? Well, I think, first of all, Jim, it was a great quarter for us. Uh, Revenues up 18%. EPS, all-time record, up 13% versus last year. And what's amazing is all of our segments contributed. Propulsion was up, P&A was up, and you know that's very recurring, very non-cyclical. And our boat business performed extremely well. And we took some of that goodness in Q1 and also raised uh, full year. But we're also moving forward the strategic actions that you referred to that are going to make us even more resilient. So I think in this environment, to be honest, Jim, where we're seeing uh, the market really impacted by macro issues and geopolitical issues. This is a time for us to shine. We build a portfolio for growth and resilience. Of course, we, we have to focus on the controllables at the moment, and that's exactly what we're doing. Now, David, there were some uh, talk in the conference call, I mean, people talking about maybe the weather wasn't that good and suggesting that maybe mm. the business could have been even stronger if you had the right inventory. Is this a new tone that I detect after multiple years where no one would bother to ask those questions? It was, I think, you know, for all kinds of reasons at the moment, Jim, I think people are a little more focused on the shorter term things. And there are some things happening like, you know, a a little bit of a later spring. But what I'd really like people to do is is focus on the longer term. We're going to work out Q2. That's fine. We'll work out the year. But what what I really want people to focus on is we built this incredible engine of long-term growth, mid-teens top-line growth for the next well, at least through 2025, because that's what our plan period is, but certainly beyond, and built to, to perform in any environment. So, you know, we, we, we are an incredibly good company operationally. We'll work out those issues. Uh, there are shortages of inventory right now, but we're working on, on that. And, of course, that means we have um, more certainty about production, wholesale production through the balance of the year. But, yeah, those questions are creeping in, but uh, we need to pick up our heads and focus on the longer term. All right. Now, the other thing is creeping in, obviously, because even though the average boat is less than 50,000, financing, financing's gotten, gotten uh, it's going higher. Does that really, uh, does someone who want to buy a $200,000 boat actually think about the fact that, that rates went up? Uh, they may a little. I think, you know, of course, in the short term and maybe in a forecast basis, rates are up. But historically, they're not super high at the moment. And one thing to think about is um, boat uh, loans are not the kind of same period as cars. Cars can be three or five years. Boat loans are up to 15 years. So people are looking at their monthly payments. And even with the recent rise in rates, those haven't been uh, significantly affected. About 50% of boat purchases are financed, or at least, you know, we, we're aware of the financing mechanism for about 50%, but the rest are, are cash purchases. I would say um, interest rates are not at a level at the moment that would be a big dissuader for people looking to finance a boat. Right. Now, there are a lot of, uh, of really incredibly high-end retailers 
who have told me, look, uh, like RH, uh, you know what? The war Ukraine, people, the stock prices are down. Uh, people are getting a little down themselves. It's not the time they don't want to buy big. Uh, is that a story that you're hearing? I think it's a general story, but it's not something we're seeing in terms of the way okay. uh, we perceive underlying demand. What we're clearly seeing, Jim, is very strong underlying demand. We do really regular surveys of the market, in fact, monthly surveys. Um, we ask voters and intending voters uh, about their intentions to go boating and their intentions to buy a boat. And there is no change this year in those surveys versus the same time last year. So we have a very resilient uh, group of voters and intending voters who are certainly intending to do the same thing as last year. They're, the new boaters are really limited by the available inventory. One thing this year is inventory overall is down versus the same time last year, but a lot of nominal inventory is actually already retail sold. So if you think about the, there are about 5,000 units of Brunswick inventory in the field right now. We have 900 dealers. So this is a, it's a very small number of boats per dealer. And as you know, Jim, inventory is not really fungible. If I have, we think of it on a unit basis, but if I have a 20 foot aluminum boat and somebody wants a 30 foot Boston Whaler, it's not a match. So inventory is clearly a limiting factor. And we're not seeing any diminution of, uh, of underlying demand. All right. Uh, one last question. When I look at the uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I bumped into someone who said, Jim, you know, when you bought your, your boat, I bought Brunswick. Uh, and then the Fed started tightening and it just didn't matter how well Brunswick's doing. Uh, what does a CEO do? Just keep nose to the grindstone, keep delivering numbers and not worry about the Fed or say, you know what, maybe I've got to make some acquisitions to make me more secular grower rather than cyclical. Uh, how do you go to work every day knowing that your stock's under pressure, but not from anything you've done? <laughs> yeah, it can be a little frustrating, but we have to focus on the things we can control. And the good news is there's an awful lot we can control, way more than in the past. To some extent, at least on the margins, we can even control demand because of Freedom Boat Club. But we have a lot of parts of the business that depend on whether people go boating and not what the new boat market is. We have an incredible uh, uh, history and recent history and ex expectation of market share gain in our propulsion business. So we have many more drivers of revenue growth than just what the market is doing. In fact, the market is good at the moment, but, but we have tremendous levers of growth. We'll keep executing that strategy that continues to build the recurring revenue subscription of our uh, portion of our business, like parts and accessories, like the incredible uh, Freedom Boat Club. Uh, yeah, we'll keep marching forward with all of those things, Jim, and eventually the market will catch up. I totally agree with you. I think that sometimes people should just not look at a stock unless it be, unless the company falters. And your company has done anything but falter. David Folks, the CEO of Brunswick, great to have you on as always. Great to be on. Thank you very much, Jim. All right. So, guys, if you actually do the work and look at it, you would say, you know, that the market just doesn't like it right now. But the market is fickle. And when the market likes something, then the stock tends to double in this crazy environment. Man, money's back into the market. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that. The lightning round is over. Susan in California. Susan. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of I'm course. a member of the investment club and yes. normally buy only those stocks, but I deviated about six weeks ago and bought Weber. Should I hold or sell? You know, both Weber and Traeger, candidly, were companies that came at a very exciting time in the market. And the market is very unexciting now, but I would not sell this thing at eight because it makes money. Hassan in Georgia, Hassan. It's Kramer. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm having a good time. How about you? I'm doing all right. All right. Um, my thoughts are, what, um, what do you think about Magnolia Oil and Gas Corporation? Take it simple, MGY. I think it's a good company. It's Steve Chasen. Steve is unbelievable at Oxy. I like it. Let's go to Anthony, Texas. Anthony. Booyah, from Dallas, Texas. How can I help? All right. Hey, got a question. Uh, $52 call spaces on a company you and I like. It is? Thank you, Jim. I can't hear it. What's the stock? A firm. Oh, a firm. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I, look, I think it doesn't make money, I know, but it's Max Levchin. Max Levchin will figure something out. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what lesson about the Fed did Kramer learn from Barson Miguel? Grab a mezcal and let's taco about it next. I swear, if I hear Jay Pals behind the curve one more time, I'm going to unleash my inner Philadelphian and sock the guy in the kisser, or at least yell some city of brotherly love profanity. Sure, Pals not perfect. He might have been too cautious about the impact of the Omicron strain. He didn't want to tighten into another lockdown, even though he didn't get one. If you look at what's happening in China, you can understand why he wasn't willing to take the chance. My defense of Pal is very straightforward. The most visible inflation we have simply can't be blamed on the Fed, nor can it be, be solved by the Fed for that matter. Anyone who says otherwise clearly hasn't been to the supermarket lately. And why would they? So many of Powell's most strident critics are rich enough to have someone else shop for them. They're out of touch with the real world. What's the real world? Butter. Hey, everybody buys butter, unless you're vegan. So we know Lands of Lake, Land of Lakes organic butter, which my wife likes, now costs $9.99 per pound. That's up from 7 bucks not that long ago. How'd that happen? What caused an almost $3 price increase in organic butter? Was it COVID in the sense that too many of the workers who make butter got sick? The cows sure didn't get sick. Is it the cost of freight packaging? I want answers. But whatever answer I get does just not involve j Powell. Federal Reserve is not going to bring the price of organic butter back down to $7 no matter what. Powell may be a wizard, but he can't make more cows, at least that I know of. And we're not going to go back to margarine, just saying. Last night, I had the handoff of Bar San Miguel to my manager. You may have read that my wife, Lisa, is launching our own brand of mezcal called Fosforo tomorrow night. I am the taste ambassador. Great title. An arcane federal law from the 30s called the Tide House Rule, and that's T-I-E-D, keeps anyone from owning both a liquor company and a bar in this country. You can't do both. So even though she owns the Mescal business and I own the bar, I had to surrender Bar San Miguel. So I met with my manager, Petru, terrific guy. And what did he want to talk about? You want to talk about the handoff? What's going on? No, avocados. 
Why? Because they were $60 a crate when he agreed to buy the restaurant not that long ago, and now they're at 90 A huge number of dishes contain avocado. By the way, our guacamole, uh, his guacamole, this is a for. But we had to raise price for avocado-related dishes, although nowhere near enough to cover those higher costs. Even as Petri now gets the stuff at Jethro, which is the cheapest place there is if you've ever been one. Again, it's not Jay's Jay Powell did not create the price of avocados. He has not caused them to spike, and he can't do this and create more of them or bring the price down. Now, some prices will stabilize if Jay moves as rapidly as I want him to with a 75 basis point rate hike at their meeting next week and then a boatload of 50 basis point hikes after. But even if he had done that a few months ago, I think that my Cardian hauling garbage bill would not have gone from $300 to $400 this year, which is a big jump. Every insurance bill wouldn't have jumped from 10 to 20 percent. Huge jumps. But can Jay force the big independent oil producers in Texas to stop being so disciplined and start drilling recklessly again? That's the only way to make the price of crude go down, unless the Federal Reserve somehow has the power to make the Russian army withdraw from Ukraine. Butter, avocado, gasoline. These are the real-world price increases that regular people have to deal with. You can get 300 basis points worth of rate hikes, and I don't think it would amount to a hill of beans for them. So blame Powell for some wage inflation, some commodity inflation. Just don't blame him for the most obvious contributors, because these are all about supply chain disruptions or geopolitics or, frankly, who knows what. All stuff that is clearly beyond Jay Powell's control. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.